Well, hopefully you're in Exodus chapter 14. And the title of today's message is The Crossing. Now let me ask everyone, I did this when we went through Daniel. How many of you here today, is this your favorite part of the Exodus story? The parting of the Red Sea. Cool stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Getting the DVD, fast forwarding to that point? Absolutely. I mean, nothing's more powerful than Charlton Heston getting on top of that rock, raising that staff, and the seas parting. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. Incredible what God has done there at that moment. What a miracle, huh? What a miracle. But here's what I've discovered. We read that, and we're awed by it, and we're like, yeah, the Egyptians got theirs. The Egyptians got theirs. I'm so glad God wiped them all out. But you know, if we simply consolidate it or bring it down to that narrow meaning and having that little of impact upon our lives, we have missed what God is truly trying to do in and through that incredible act. Now, if somebody were to come up to you and say, hey, do you believe that the crossing over the Red Sea on dry ground is a legitimate miracle of the Old Testament? Absolutely. I believe God has done that. Then if they were to ask you, well, what does it mean? Well, it means that God didn't want Israel to get their feet wet. Uh, No, no, I think there's something more to it than that. Well, God wanted to save them from the Egyptians and the uh, wrath of Pharaoh. Well, that's true. But there's even much more. There's so much more. There's so much more that we often miss because we read it so quickly and we really don't understand how it may apply to us today because we've never seen God work in that fashion before. But the crossing over was more than just leaving one side of the Red Sea, crossing through the sea and arriving on the other side of the Red Sea. The crossing of the Red Sea is much more than God just delivering them from the wrath of Pharaoh and the Egyptian uh, troops, etc. This crossing for the people of Israel was their crossing from fear to faith. From fear to faith. That's what God wanted to do in the hearts of His people. He wanted to show Himself strong so they may know that they can count on Him and trust Him in their time of need. He wanted them to experience this particular event that he may reveal himself to his people. Remember, they didn't have the written word at this time. And so all that they had seen of God up until this moment was ten judgments upon the nation of Egypt. And they have been spared those judgments, but they have seen one aspect of God, one side of the coin, and now God is saying, I'm going to show you so much more of myself through this event. And what we often lose when we read this particular account is that we lose the fact that God had brought them to this place. God put them in a no-win scenario so He could show Himself strong, that He could demonstrate to His people that they could trust Him and that they could allow their hearts to be confident in the fact that when they would fall into fear, they could find faith and trust in their God. I don't know about you, but fear can be an overwhelming emotion, can't it? 
Now, fear is very real. You know, fear can be a good thing. It can hinder you from doing what you should not do. Okay, I'm glad that I'm afraid of fire, right? Keeps my hand from being burned or my foot or whatever else I would decide to stick in a fire. And then you have other problems if you're looking to stick something of your body parts into a fire. Fear can be a good thing when it tells me not to get too close to a ledge on top of the Sears Tower. I refuse to call it the Willis Tower. I'm rebelling. But 110 stories up in the air. I mean, it took a lot for me to get out in one of those observation bubbles. I think I read somewhere, Thou shalt not test or tempt the Lord thy God. And my daughter, you know, she's out there, look, Dad, this is great, taking pictures all the way down. And I'm like, okay, honey, I don't know if this is regulation for a guy my size. Should I go out there or not? I'm not sure. And then I got out there and I looked straight down and I'm like, this is not natural. (laughs) That's why the window of the airplane looks out rather than down. Okay, 35,000 feet is 35,000 feet. There's just certain places we're not meant to be. Okay. But fear can also be very inhibiting when it comes to doing things you're supposed to be doing for God. For example, today I'm still amazed that the number one fear that people carry in the United States of America is speaking in public. Speaking in public is still at the top, at least, and some it's at number one, and spiders and bugs are there. I, I can testify to that. We've got that issue in our house. Dad, come quick! What, what, what? There's a spider. Where? On the window. Okay, you understand he's on the outside of the window. He can't get in. Well, go shoo him off. We're on the second floor. I'd have to get a ladder. Dad, I can't sleep. Go to bed. You know, bugs. It's, you know, for some people, there's a real phobia when it comes to bugs. Dentists. I don't know about that. You know, if there's a dentist here, I apologize. But you're scary. Okay? You're scary. There's just something about the sound of that drill that's unnatural. You're going to do what to my teeth? Don't I have enough holes already? Really? Can't you just, you know, put a little glue in there or something? I don't know. There's always a fear that keeps you from doing what you need to do. Doctors, dentists, whatever it may be. But when that fear keeps you from doing what God would have you to do, it becomes a real problem. It becomes a real problem. It keeps you from being obedient to what God would have you to do next. So how do you get past that fear? How do you get past that fear? The way to get past fear is by faith. Is by faith. The children of Israel are going to be given life lessons through their experience with God as they travel through the wilderness from Egypt to their promised land of Canaan. And as they move with God, God will show Himself in different ways to let them know that they can trust Him wholeheartedly. And that they can move from fear to faith because of that trust that they have in God. Now, a lot of people talk about having faith. But faith in and of itself is actually nothing. That faith must be attached to something. For example, the only reason you get into an airplane, a flying coffin with wings, 
is because you have faith that the engineers have done their jobs. You have faith that the mechanics have done their jobs. You have faith that the pilot knows what to do after turning the engines on. If you were to go to the observation deck of the Willis Tower, Sears Tower, and you were to stand on that observation deck, you're placing your faith in the architects. You're placing your faith in the materials. You're placing your faith in the construction workers, right? So your faith is only as good as what it is attached to. And our faith will only move us past fear when it's attached to God. The reason being is that God is outside of the circumstances. God is outside of the realm of the natural. He is in the realm of the supernatural. And nothing is too difficult for God to do. Absolutely nothing. And so when I place my faith in Him, and when I find myself in a circumstance that is overwhelming to me, where I feel trapped, where I can't move forward, and fear has gripped my heart, to allow myself to have that faith in Him can release me from that fear and proceed forward. And so he wanted to bring the children of Israel to that place where they knew they could trust him. And there are four things we're going to look at this morning in our text. Number one, we are going to see that God knows beforehand. God knows beforehand. Nothing is a surprise to God. God knows exactly what's going to happen in your life tomorrow, even though you don't. He knows what's going to happen in your life two weeks from now, two years from now, two decades from now. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. We are also going to discover that it is God who defends us. It's God who defends us. And when we are tempted to slide into that position of fear, when we are overwhelmed by our circumstances. It is God who positions Himself in a way that we may place our faith and trust in Him to see us through, to carry us through, to move us past that fear. But not only does God defend us, God also goes before us. He guides us to where He would have us to go. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We simply need to follow Him. And wherever he leads us, we can be assured of, he knows where he's going before he gets there. He's going to defend us. Whatever's going to happen, he'll take care of it. Because he guides us and he leads us. And he also protects us. He protects us. And those areas of our weakness is where God shows himself the strong. It's in our area of weakness that God rises to show himself strong. Because when we are faithless, he is faithful. When we are weak, he is strong. God brought the children of Israel to this point. And as a result, he was about to show them, demonstrate for them, how great he is, and that they could fully place their faith and trust in him to see them to their final destination, which was the land in which he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do we know that? Let's backtrack to chapter 13, verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. The tenth judgment had occurred. The firstborn had died. 
Pharaoh is now releasing the people, allowing everyone to go. God has now instructed those people to take up uh, gold and silver from their neighbors. And now the exodus from Egypt has begun. That God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near For God said, lest perhaps the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. Here's what God's saying. God didn't take them the quickest route. The quickest route between any two points is a straight line. God says they're not ready for it. Because that quickest route is going to take them into the area of the Philistines. They're not ready for that yet. And because they are not ready, if they were to face the Philistines at this time, the Philistines became one of the great enemies of the children of Israel. They would coward. They would have retreated. Their fear would have gotten the best of them. And they would have returned to Egypt because it is more secure for someone to return to a place of familiarity than unfamiliarity. It's more secure for them to do so. God says they're not ready yet. And as a result, look at verse 18 with me. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in an orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. God brought them to the edge of the Red Sea for a purpose. He was about to show himself strong. He was about to demonstrate to them that they could fully place their faith and trust in him to carry them all the way into the land in which he had promised for them. Stop right there. Isn't it great that God knows us better than we know ourselves? Now think about it for a moment. God saw the hearts of his people, the minds of his people. He knew they couldn't handle the Philistines yet. Their faith hadn't developed until that to that point. They weren't ready. So I'm going to take them the long way. I'm going to take them a way in which I may demonstrate to them that they can fully trust me. And that way included coming to the edge of the Red Sea. You starting to get the picture here? Now, not only does God bring them to the edge of the Red Sea, but he brings them to a very specific point before the Red Sea. A point in which the Red Sea is in front of them. There are two cliffs on either side of them. And their only other way of escape is the way that they will discover quickly that the Egyptian army has cut off. And they are completely trapped with the sea in front of them, the cliffs on either side of them, and the Egyptian army behind them. This was so confusing to Pharaoh that Pharaoh thought that the wilderness had gotten the best of the children of Israel, meaning they got lost. They didn't know what they were doing. They had placed themselves in such a vulnerable position militarily that they would be easy to overwhelm. And whoever surrendered then could be returned to Egypt and once again be returned to slavery. But what Pharaoh didn't count was the fact that God's hand was in it all. And when the children of Israel were there on the side of the Red Sea, 
the sea in front of them, the cliffs on either side of them, the Egyptian army behind them, they were then put in a position where they could do nothing for themselves. There was no hope, no possibility that they could have uh, devised a plan strategically to remove them from that position of vulnerability. I don't know about you, but often we find ourselves in places where circumstances overwhelm us. And you contextualize whatever those circumstances may be. Where we find ourselves, of no fault of our own, in a position that's completely overwhelming and way beyond our personal abilities. We have no control over what happens next. And we do exactly what the nation of Israel did at that time. We do today also. They cried out to God and they complained to Moses. They cried out to God and they complained to Moses. I can't tell you how many people that I have spoken to over the last 18 years that have found themselves in that position who come to church and you can immediately tell that there is something wrong. Something's really wrong. Their whole countenance just, uh, just screams, ask me if I'm okay. And so as a pastor, I read somewhere in the pastoral manual, I have to ask if people are okay. So I will go up to them, and the, I mean, they, the only thing more they could have had is a t-shirt that says, please ask. And so I'll approach them, and I'll go up to them, and I will ask them, are you okay? And then I get the answer. And this is what causes me not to want to ask anymore. Because lying in church is a sin. All right, let me rephrase that. Lying anywhere is a sin. But lying in church brings on the wrath of God and the holy indignation of fire upon that person. And they will say to me, with their entire body language saying that something's wrong, and they will say to me in such a convincing way, I'm fine. Really? Really? You're fine. I'm fine. No, what they're really saying is, ask me more. Ask me more. Don't give up. Ask me again. Because right now I'm showing my spiritual maturity by telling you it's fine. By lying, I'm showing you my spiritual maturity. Are you sure you're fine? Yes, I've prayed to God. There it is, crying out to God. I've prayed to God and I've given it to Him and now I am trusting Him. I am really trusting. (laughs) But ask me again more, please. (laughs) And so I'll ask again. And as soon as after that, they tell me that, I've cried out to God, but I have no idea why he didn't hear my prayers. I'm not even sure God is there. Crying out to God, immediately into complaining. And then somehow, during the course of the conversation, it becomes my fault. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if it's just one of the perks of the position, you know, I'm the physical representation of, you know, leadership in the church, so, all right, this is it, this is the guy I need to complain to, he's the pastor, he's tight with God, I'm going to register my complaint right here, right now. And they complain, onto, they complain. And I love what God says to Moses. I love Moses' advice to these people. Stand still 
and see the salvation of your Lord that will happen this day. And that's what we are going to work our way to. We are going to bring you to that point through these four points that God knows, God defends, God guides, God protects, that we may stand still and see what God wants to do in and through our impossible circumstance to show himself strong, to show that we can fully place our faith and trust in Him and the promises that He has given to us are more than mere adages on a slip within a fortune cookie. This is something that's real, these promises that God has given us to stabilize us, to support us, to allow us to walk with Him day by day. And when we find ourselves, and we will find ourselves in overwhelming circumstances at time, time and time again, God says, it's at that point, don't go to fear. Trust me, have faith. You ready? Let's go. Verse 1, chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephor, and you shall camp before it by the sea. Now these places don't have any, uh, we don't have a reference point. You don't, aren't probably familiar with these places. But again, as I had explained, it was a very specific location. Moses, I want you to bring the people right here. And let me explain that again, the sea was in front of them. There were two enormous cliffs. This was like a valley approaching the sea. Now, it was just that. It was an area in which the sea could be approached that allowed for such a large caravan over uh, roughly anywhere to two to four million people. This was the access point. But it also was a, a cul-de-sac. It was a place that they were cornered, and they, 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 had no, they had no out, you know. They had no way of getting out of it in and of themselves. They couldn't climb the cliffs, they couldn't go through the water, and they couldn't go behind them the way they came, because that's where the Egyptians will bear upon them. But notice, who brought them to this point? God. Why? Because God knows their heart, and they need to see what is about to happen, but God also knows what's going to happen beforehand with Pharaoh, verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed in, closed them in. Meaning that they were not skilled enough to find their way through. They have now placed themselves in an extremely vulnerable position. And as a result, verse 4, God says, Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all of the chariots of Egypt with the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them 
all of the horses and chariots, and Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Harath and Baal-Zephon. God is orchestrating everything here, leading the children of Israel to exactly that place. Now, if you look at a map, it is interesting, after the children of Israel left Egypt, they proceeded southward. But then God saw that they weren't ready to go that way yet, because they were going to go around the Red Sea. And so he turned them and had them come back north towards Egypt. And then he positioned them in this cul-de-sac. And then God drew out the army of Egypt by hardening Pharaoh's heart even further. Now, if you can imagine... Less than a week has transpired since the death of the firstborn. For that week, the Egyptians have been burying their dead day in and day out. Pharaoh himself burying his firstborn child. You can imagine the welling of anger against the children of Israel. And then God brings it about in their thinking, why have we let them go? They should be punished for what has happened. We are the greatest military in the world at that time. Their hearts filled with such ideas and such emotions and God hardening Pharaoh's heart even further to draw Pharaoh out and to see them cornered in such a way. God literally positioned his people in a place of complete vulnerability that again drew Pharaoh out and Pharaoh said this is going to be easy for us to overcome them. But who's in control of this entire event? God. Never doubt that whatever circumstances you find yourself in, God is in control. Never doubt that. And understand that God knows what's going to happen before it happens. God knew what he was about to do. God wasn't worried. God didn't bring him to that place next to the Red Sea and then say, Oh no, what have I done? What have I done? Oh no, here comes Pharaoh with the Egyptian army. God biting his nails in heaven. God knew what he was going to do. And I say it in this manner because I want it to have a lasting impact upon you. God is in control. God has brought him to this place. And God is about to do something great. Understand that. That often God likes to place individuals in these impossible circumstances that he may show himself strong. I think about Job, okay? I've never had anyone come to me and say, Pastor, uh, guess what? I'm reading the book of Job Job for my encouraging, uplifting morning devotionals. Did you ever notice that? No one ever says that to me. I did have one person say that, They really felt bad about their life until they read Job and they feel a lot better about theirs. I did have someone tell me that one time. But the point is, is that we see Job's story and we're like, from his vantage point, he had absolutely no clue what was going on. He had great friends that told him just to, listen, Job, you must have sinned against God. You must have done something wrong because that's the only reason that you could be in such a place in which you find yourself today. He had the loving, supportive wife. Job, just curse God and die, so I may be over with this. (laughs) You know. 
But from God's perspective, he was setting Job into an impossible circumstance to show himself strong. Sometimes God will bring us to that place where we are incapable of doing anything further. And all we can do is just cry out to God and either we can retreat in fear or proceed by faith in Him. But God also knew that the children of Israel would never be able to settle unless they knew that Egypt had been dealt with. You know, so many Christians are under the bewilderment that once they got saved, that Satan was then going to leave them alone. Well, let me tell you here, if you haven't figured this out, you will shortly, that the moment you got serious about God, Satan got serious about you. And so God needed to show himself superior. And that's what he says here. I'm going to gain honor over Pharaoh and the Egyptians. I'm going to show myself strong. And I'm going to eliminate the threat. Jesus Christ did that on the cross for you and I. And when we placed our faith and trust in him, we were set free from the bondages of sin and death and the tyranny of Satan. And though he may hassle us, and though he may give us difficulties, we won. And the moment we feel that we are encountering such spiritual warfare is the moment where we can simply move to our knees, cry out to God, And God intervenes. As one wrote, he says, there's an analogy here in this to the spiritual life. We sometimes think that Satan will let us go easily, or we think that once we leave his kingdom, he forgets about us. Yet, just like Pharaoh after Israel, Satan pursues us, attempting to keep us at least on the fringes of his domain and hoping to destroy us altogether if he can. So what is to happen next? In verse 11, we find that Pharaoh is now barreling in on them. Verse 11, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us a way to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. little bit of fatalism, don't you think? It's been less than a week. They've seen all that God has done. They are now at that point, they cry out to God, and then they complain to Moses. Crying out to God, complaining to Moses. Why have you brought us here? Why have you dealt with us this way? Why have you brought us to this place? Were there not graves in Egypt that we could fill? Should you not let us alone that we may go back and serve the Egyptians? Think about that reasoning. And before you're too hard on these people, think about how you often reason things through at these times of difficulty. God, wouldn't it be better if you just left me where I was? God, why did you bring me to this place? God, why have you allowed this thing to happen unto us? Wouldn't it have been better, Lord, if you just left us alone? And maybe at times in your life you have reasoned in that way. 
you have deduced from your vantage point, from your perspective, you have concluded what must really be going on. This is one of my great beefs with society today. We have told people ever since the 1970s, and probably even before that, but the 1970s, there was a launch of a guru that occupied almost every movie theater in America, and probably most of you have the discs at home. His name was Yoda. And he said to Luke, Don't you lose your eyes, use your feelings. <laughs> And from that point, do you notice how feeling-driven our, our society has become? Even when we have facts right before us that we should reason through to allow us to look at something objectively, we allow our feelings to supersede that objectivity, and then we come to some irrational conclusion about where we are at. Let me give you an example. You wake up and you have a splitting headache. And you decide to do what every American loves to do today, and that is go to the internet and self-diagnose yourself. So you hop on the internet, you hop on WebMD, and you're typing in all of your symptoms, and it comes up with a list of 413 different diseases that you may have. But you are already confident and assured of what you have, so you target the one that must make sense, brain tumor. And the rest of the day, you are moving through this illogical rationale. I have brain cancer. You don't even think that your pillows might have been misadjusted? That you slept in a very unnatural position all night? That maybe it's simply a migraine or maybe it is allergies? No, it's brain cancer. And so you hop on Facebook, the second plateau of wisdom here in America. Please pray for me. I think I have brain cancer. And then everybody comes back. Oh my gosh, what's happened? How do you know? I went online. I've got brain cancer. We're praying. We've just inundated 413 churches to allow them to pray for you because you have brain cancer. And the next thing you know, this whole thing has happened, and then I get the phone call, so-and-so has brain cancer in your church. Really? How do you know? Um, well, they were diagnosed by a very, very elite professional in their area. Oh, yeah? Yeah, WebMD. Now, I'm being extremely sarcastic here. But my point is, is that you get the picture. Our feelings can move us to such irrational conclusions. We must be very careful to check our feelings against objectivity. Because faith is not based upon feelings. Our faith in God is based upon fact. So understand that. One wrote it this way. Because often our, our feelings are the catalyst that moves us into fear, are they not? Listen to what one says. Fear imprisons, but faith liberates. Fear paralyzes, faith empowers. Fear disheartens, but faith encourages. Fear sickens, but faith heals. Fear makes us useless. Faith makes us serviceable. Most of all, fear puts hopelessness at the heart of life, while faith rejoices 
in God. Don't allow yourself to go there. They went there. They were determined that they knew what exactly was going to happen. And look at how Moses responds to them. Great verse for your memory verse this week. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, number one, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The confidence of Moses, that's faith. The confidence of Moses wasn't in and of himself, it was in his God. That's faith. And there are imperatives found in these verses. Those imperatives are commands. And the first imperative is stand still, or some of your translations, stand firm. The impression this word gives us that if it is the opposite of what was happening at the time was that the fear had caused them to scurry like chickens with their heads cut off. And they were irrationally moving about, looking for ways to possibly save themselves. I have no doubt that there were men in the camp that were probably bringing out ropes to try to pull up their donkeys along the sides of the cliffs. I think I saw that in a picture Bible sometime, somewhere. The point I'm getting to is that he is saying, stop. Stand still. Allow yourself to look at what is happening objectively and now in that objectivity, place your faith in God. The second imperative is see. Watch to see what the Lord is about to do. And it, the definement of that, the word see, it means it can also have the derived meaning of all which required for the individual to see physically outside of himself or herself. It means take a step back and look at the situation objectively. Evaluate it through the lens of faith rather than through the lens of fear and feeling. And ask yourself, is this too great for God to overcome? That should be the qualifying question that we ask ourselves at any time we arrive at circumstances that are beyond ourselves. Is this circumstance too difficult for God to overcome in some way, in some shape, in some form? Now they all probably had their ideas about what God would do next but none of them probably would have been right. I'm not sure that any of them within all of the ranks of the caravan said to one another, stop, let's think objectively. I believe God's going to part the Red Sea. Now, How many of you actually think any of them thought that? No, because it was outside the realm of the natural possibility. It was beyond their capabilities personally. So they didn't think that something like this could occur. And yet God was saying, this is exactly what is going to occur in just a moment. And I love what God says to Moses. He says, all right, go forward. Move forward. 
verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his armies, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God, I'm doing this. I've brought you here. I've brought them here. That I might show myself strong. What I am about to do is going to change the course of history. I am going to establish myself And be honored by all from what I am about to do next. And his sovereignty is now going to be exalted. See, not only did the Egyptians need to know that he was God, but more importantly, the children of Israel needed to know that he is the Lord. God sees beforehand what is coming up next. You may have often referred to God as Jehovah Jireh, one of the names in which God presents himself as to his people in Genesis 22. But Jehovah Jireh means more than just my God shall provide. It does mean that. But what's missing often from that definition is that God sees the need first and then provides it. So Jehovah Jireh is not only my God shall provide, but It's my God shall see of my need and provide. Think of it that way next time. He knew exactly what he needed to do next and he was just about to do it. And he begins to do what he is about to do by going and bringing himself between them and and their enemies and positioning himself as their defender. Verse 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one. And it gave light by night to the other. So that the one did not come near the other all that night. God positions himself as our defender. What he's asking us to do is put him between us and the problem. Put him between us and the problem. Bring God back into the equation. Because the moment we run to fear and we allow our feelings to overwhelm us based upon the evaluation of our circumstances, the reason we retreat to fear, the reason that we allow our feelings to overwhelm us is because we've taken God out of the equation. He's saying, now, I'm going to put myself into the equation. I'm going to stand before you and the Egyptians. I'm going to be light for my people. I'm going to be darkness for the Egyptians. Did you ever see that parallel? And that's truly what the glory of God is. When a non-believer looks at the glory of God, it's darkness unto them because of the fact that they are in a position of death. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, 
The one who has passed from darkness to light, from death to life. The glory of God is a brilliant light that shines and illuminates our path before us. I like what one wrote here. He says, Thus the double nature of the glory of God in salvation and judgment, which later appears so frequently in the Scriptures, could not have been more graphically depicted in this event. The angel of God, many believe is a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, standing between the enemies of Israel and Israel, allowing them to move forward. Number one, after understanding that that God sees what we are going to experience before we experience it, that nothing's outside of His control. Number two, understand, bring God back into the equation. Don't leave Him out. And number three, then allow God to guide you through this time. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. It is so important that when we find ourselves in these circumstances that we don't try to get out ourselves. That we allow God to lead us through that time. I have discovered that many make many terrible decisions at those vulnerable vulnerable points in their life. Have you ever been in a place where you've been completely distressed by the circumstances of life? And you've made a decision at that moment that you later came to utterly regret? The same is true for these people. Because they took God out of the equation initially, then they reintroduced God into the equation. God made the the way straight, and they let Him lead them through this period of time. And in that is the salvation of the children of Israel and the judgment upon the Egyptians, all in one event. Now often when it comes to the big issues of life, We do cry out to God. It's the little issues of life that we often feel that we can overcome ourselves. And when we find ourselves failing at that time is when we become overwhelmed. So consider that as you go forward. But do you know that at this moment the children of Israel remembered this time as a moment of mercy in their life? Let me read the psalmist 136, 13 through 16. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his mercy endures forever. And lastly, we come to the end 
as now God steps behind them as they are making their way through and protects them as they move through the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 26, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and over the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned to cover the chariots and the horsemen and all the armies of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. From fear to faith. Their fear of Pharaoh was replaced by now their fear of the Lord. Their fear had now been replaced by faith. They believed in their God to deliver them. Please remember this the next time you find yourselves in overwhelming circumstances that are beyond your control. That you know that the Lord has brought you to for one reason or, the no, or another, but you personally cannot determine why that reason, or what that reason is, I should say. The Hebrew writer tells us that what moved the children of Israel through this time was the faith that Moses had in his God. It was that faith that moved him to cry out to God, to allow God to instruct him, to allow uh, him to raise that staff in, before the, uh, on the seashore of the Red Sea. It was by faith that he was moved. If you learn anything from today, understand that your feelings can be misleading. And when our feelings are driving us to fear, anxiety, worry, as the Bible psalmist writes, fretting is another word that is used. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. From this point forward, the issue of the Red Sea would be a milestone in the memory of the people and the children of Israel, for they would always refer back to this moment, to know that their God was strong. Now, did they live perfectly? No. Did they forget the lesson often? Yes, and so do we. But God showed himself strong at that moment. If you are here today and you find yourself in one of those positions, let me encourage you with three things. Number one, do not be afraid. Number two, stand still. And number three, see the salvation of your Lord. Allow him to see you through this moment this time. And when he does, remember it and glorify him for it from now until the end of your life.